What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Trail Tales, or just straight up welcome. If this is your first time listening, I've got a feeling I'm going to have quite a few first time listeners this episode. So, yeah, welcome and welcome back. My name is Kyle O'Grady. I am a thru hiker. I thru hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2018. I am a peak bagger. I'm almost done peak bagging the Northeast 115. I've just got a couple peaks left. And this is the podcast where I chat with other peak baggers and other through hikers and other hiking nerds just like myself every single week about their experiences on the trail. If that sounds interesting to you, I encourage you to go back, listen to some old episodes, and maybe hit that subscribe button. If you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate that. Folks, this is a big, big episode. Philip Karsha is back on the program the last time that we spoke he was over halfway done the single year grid fkt attempt but he still had a lot of hiking to go i'm stoked to say now he has finished it he has taken the fastest known time for the single year grid in the white mountains which is so so amazing in this episode i pretty much just take a seat and i let philip tell his story of the last couple months since we last spoke in our last conversation i kind of made a comment about how spring was coming and i kind of implied that it was going to get a little bit easier the hiking was from then on out and boy was i wrong he still went through a ton of stuff since we last talked and it was really really amazing to hear about all of that i mean it should go without saying that this is something that's incredibly difficult i mean it's never been done as fast as he did it obviously but like holy shit hearing it from the source like this in a long format it was such a pleasure i had so much fun with this one and philip dude when you hear this i've thanked you like a hundred times over the months but i gotta do it one more time for everybody to hear thank you so much dude and congratulations on an incredible accomplishment this is going to be a good one folks we're going to get into the conversation in just a second but first i just want to say real quick i got two things if you like this episode i would really appreciate it if you could share it on social media throw it up in those facebook groups throw it on instagram get it out there to people let's get philip's story out there it's so incredible i would really appreciate that Go look up Trail Tales on Facebook. Just type in Trail Tales. It should come up. I'm also on Instagram, at Trail Tales Pod. And email is a thing as well. TrailTalesPod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know if you have any suggestions for guests or trails you want me to cover. Any advice at all. I love getting emails. That would be really, really cool. My personal Instagram, I haven't plugged this in like probably like five months at Kyle Hates Hiking. If you want to go follow me for some reason as well, you can do that. Please go check that stuff out. That would be super, super cool. The last thing I want to say real quick here is I know a lot of people listening to this are probably, you know, up to date on the whites and maybe they haven't hiked in the Adirondacks quite as much, but I just want to turn my attention over there for a second and talk about an organization called 46 Climbs. It's an organization founded by a good friend of mine named Colby Zemendorf. They raise money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I started a Trail Tales team for 46 Climbs, and I'm trying to raise as much money for this great cause as I possibly can. So maybe go check that out. It's 46climbs.com. You'll be able to register. 
you're going to pick a mountain and then during the week of August 30th through September 8th, any day during that week, you're going to go hike that mountain. You're going to wear the shirt and all the other stuff that 46 Climbs send you after you register. And we're going to go and turn something so, so negative into something positive and have a lot of fun while we're doing it. I would really appreciate it if you guys check this out. And again, make sure you sign up under the Trail Tales team so we can kind of pool our money together. That would be really, really cool. 46climbs.com. I'll also have a link to it in the show notes. Thank you so, so much for considering that. All right, let's do it. Episode 37 with Philip Karsha, White Mountain, Single Year, Grid, FKT, Holder. Episode 37 of Trail Tales. Here we go. Philip Karsha is back on the show. Round two. Philip was probably the most requested guest I've ever had. I put out <laughs> a poll a couple weeks ago on my Instagram story, as I often do, asking for guest suggestions, because that's how I find a lot of people for this show. And despite the fact that he had already done an episode, he was by far the most requested guest that I got. And Little did all those people know we were already way ahead of them in planning this. So here we are, round mm-hmm. two, Philip Karsha. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time today. How's your weekend going so far? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, weekend is going real well. A little bit of work, a little bit of rest. That's kind of been the name of the game since I... I was uh, going to say. <laughs> since I finished this uh, this monumental project uh, two weeks ago this morning, actually, uh, the single-year grid. Yeah, it's been... Uh, it's been a wild ride, man. It's been awesome. For sure. And we're going to talk all about it today. I can't wait to hear about it. And I'm sure everybody else is just as, maybe not quite as stoked as I am, because <laughs> I am just very stoked. But I'm sure everybody is pretty stoked. <laughs> Nobody is stoked as as me, man. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I can definitely get behind that. I, I think that's definitely true. For everybody listening, if you have not listened to our first episode, I highly recommend you go do that. Not just because... Mr. Trail Tales podcast guy wants to get more listens, but because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to kind of be um, building off of that, I guess this is going to be like a a part two. So if you're not really familiar with Philip's project and what he just accomplished and, um, you know, some of the stuff we might talk about today could be a little bit confusing. So definitely go back and listen to that episode. It's number 24. It's on, you know, all the podcast platforms. Obviously, you know how to find it if you're listening to this. So yeah, that'll just give you some context, and it's also just a great episode too. I think Philip really kind of uh, put it all out there in that one, and I think it. I think this is going to make like a good addition to that. So mm. definitely, mm. definitely go do that. That being said, why don't we just give like a real brief uh, recap? I guess kind of where we left off last time, Philip. Why don't you just uh, explain a little bit why you're here first of all and um you know a little bit about you about your hiking background and then what this single year grid crazy fucking thing is <laughs> yeah definitely well i think uh i think the last time we spoke or the last four the last uh the last podcast was recorded the first week of april april yeah um so it was very much uh it still very much felt like winter up here in the white mountains um and i was turning the corner on um a nearly year-long project called the single year grid in the white mountains of new hampshire and this is a project that required uh climbing all 48 4,000 footers in the white mountains in every month consecutively for 12 months 
Um, I was attempting to do it in record time. I did end up completing the project, uh, like I said, two weeks ago today. Um, so the project was sent in 319 elapsed days, um, so just slightly over 10 and a half months. And yeah, in April, you know, me sitting down here and being able to tell you that I completed the project um, felt like a distant dream. Um, still, <laughs> you know, having having come that far over that many months, it's still it still felt slightly um, slightly out of reach, uh, slightly out of touch. And, um, you know, I, I had the reassurance of many months behind me, many months of the project behind me, but, um, I still wasn't quite sure that I was going to be able to see it all the way through just because we had such a ridiculous, ridiculous winter. Um, so in terms of the last time we talked, I mean, like I said, I was really turning the corner on this project. And, um, I think one of the last, one of the last subjects we kind of touched upon in that in that episode was just this idea that spring was coming and that yeah. um, you know perhaps perhaps the days were were going to get a little bit uh, longer a little bit easier the the weather would start to turn more in my favor and I was kind of reluctant to you know yes, believe in I was going to say because I made that comment which looking back on it now a little bit foolish I was like oh spring is coming like it should get easier if you made it this far you know mm. you could make it all the way right and you kind of shot that down you were like yeah but keep in mind these are still the hardest mountains on the east coast arguably elsewhere as well and uh, even during the middle of the summer on a beautiful day they're still hard as fuck so um yeah so i talked to you in the beginning of april and that was just about uh just about four months remaining in the project. So I had all of April, all of May, all of June. And then, of course, I finished uh, the last round July in, in the first seven days of July. But um, I still had, you know, nearly a third of the project in front of me, nearly a thousand miles of hiking in, in front of me. And um, looking back on it now, I mean, truly between just let's even say April and, and June, um, the three last quote unquote regular months, I mean, it felt like I went through you know, three or four lifetimes worth of experiences. I mean, I think the week that I talked to you on the podcast, I was talking about getting several inches of snow. I mean, yes. the winter. Yes, I remember that. And then we did too. We did. We did. And th the winter weather didn't really loosen its grip on the White Mountains until I would say sometime in early May. Um, so we weren't like really getting any kind of su substantial snowstorms. We weren't getting any accumulation that was really building on the, on the pack that we already had, but mm -hmm. we were getting consistently cold temperatures. We would get, you know, a little bit of precipitation, a dusting, an inch here, an inch or two there. And um, that just prevented the snow, the snow pack from, from really starting to, to melt and to move out of there. And so I was on solid snow until, um, you know, halfway through May. Damn. Um, and I believe the very first snow-free hike that that I went on, or, or the first hike that I would, you know, in my mind consider snow-free, where it was like I was only just, you know, on a few patches, maybe 50 feet long here and there, um, was right at the end of May, I think the third week in May. I was just finishing up the month of May, or getting toward the end of, of the month of May. And it was the Whiteface Passaconaway Loop, um, third, third week ish in May. Uh, and it was like the first time that, yeah, again, I, I didn't really hit much snow. I didn't have to carry spikes. It was, it was a beautiful spring day. And, and when you think about that, I mean, late May, that's, that's pretty, 
you know, that's pretty late into the season to, to first be getting off snow. And, and at the same time, if you were to go further north, you know, that, that particular range, the Sandwich Range is more, more southern, um, southerly located in, yeah, in yeah. the White Mountains. If you were to go further north, if you were to go into the Cardamaria Range, a couple other places, I mean, you know, these, these areas still had substantial snow around that time. So, I mean, you know, the days were getting longer and the temperatures were getting warmer almost everywhere else, but I was continuing through these... <laughs> yeah insane winter-like conditions, you know, still up several feet off the off the trail itself, still several feet up into this canopy of trees and canopy of branches. And it was just relentless, man. All the, all the way through, it was relentless. And then, um, you know, just to kind of add on that idea, once the snow did melt, once the temperatures, you know, at 4,000 feet and above did actually warm up enough to start melting the snow, that just created a whole other scenario um, of, of different challenges and different experiences that I was that I was having that would effectively make the, the hiking more difficult, more harder, more more treacherous. Why don't we Why don't we talk about that a little bit? I'm guessing you're talking about like river crossings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about uh, quality of the snow and the mud and stuff too. Yeah, and 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 mud and and river crossings for sure. So first and foremost, I mean picture this, right? So it's cold all the way through March, all the way through let's say April, um where there where there isn't a lot of snow melting in the high country. And then all of a sudden the temperatures rebound, they get more seasonal and you have, you know, 4, 5, 6 feet of snow just sitting there starting to melt to melt all at once yeah and the quality of the snow really starts to deteriorate so what i was experiencing was specifically at the end of april and and throughout may i i would get out on the trail um i would get to elevation where there was the most snow and basically the quality of the snow was so poor that even in snowshoes i was breaking through the monorail uh, oh, so the man. so the thin packed rail of snow that kind of lingers um after all the surrounding snow melts i would break through the monorail and i would i would break through and i would sink up to any number of feet into the snowpack depending on where i was and how you know how deteriorated the the snow uh, the snow was, I mean, I could snake, I could sink into my shins. I could sink into my knees. I could sink into my hips. I mean, it was just absolutely insane. And you can, <laughs> you can kind of imagine how that would stop you from really moving forward and, um, you know, really being able to get any place quick. Of course, um, of course. It was just ridiculously slow, slow going and ridiculously taxing. And then of course, you know, that snow is, is rotten and those conditions in the snow, you know, with the snowpack are so poor for a reason because the snow is melting and it's losing its stability and all of that melt is going somewhere. And so, yes, when you mention you know, the river crossings, I mean, some of these crossings were just like insane and, and not in the sense where it's like, I felt like I was going to be swept away. Although on some of, on some occasions, I mean, you know, the, the water was absolutely waist high and you did have to use, you know, your, your, your weight and your trekking poles to move across without, without going in. But it was just so cold and so consistent. <laughs> Literally and just melted snow, just trying to wash you away. Every possible river and stream and puddle and pool were filled and flowing. And um, I mean, that has like a trickle down effect, right? I mean, like, especially in those early, 
um, those early season conditions, early spring spring conditions in the morning, it's pretty chilly out. And it's like you get into this water and, you know, it cools your body temperature down quite a bit, even if it's only up to your knees, you know, even if it's oh, only yeah. up to your hips, it's like you start getting colder and um, you start to lose that that body heat that you've that you've generated. And and also it's like to to walk for, you know, in, in some cases, you know, just personally speaking, to walk for six to 12 to, you know, 18 hours with super, super wet feet. I mean, it just like, it's miserable. <laughs> it's miserable. And it, shred, it shreds your, it shreds your feet yeah, apart, um, yeah. you know, totally, totally destroys your feet. And whereas like my schedule dictated that I had to be out every single day, you know, after weeks and weeks of this, it was like, it was getting pretty, pretty grim. The, the foot situation is still, is still recovering. Uh, I'm, I'm sad to say. I kind of want to see a picture of your feet, but I kind of don't, you know, <laughs> put that up uh, on the episode thumbnail. Maybe that, that'd be a good I, way to turn people off. I think. <laughs> oh, I, I think thumbnails the wrong, the wrong word, man. Uh, <laughs> because there, there are very few nails left on my, uh, on my feet right now, but Listen, Kyle, if you need some content, man, if you need some real raw foot foot related content, I can definitely get you a couple pictures of my feet uh, oh, post, post iratissima. I cannot even imagine. That's so gnarly. Honestly, you, you can. <laughs> I kind of do want to. I'll just like peek for a second, you know, just like, I'll, 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 I'll send you a couple pictures, man. And what happens from there, you know, that'll be up to you. <laughs> <laughs> no one will have to know. Um, exactly. What are some of the gnarliest river crossings that you've had to do uh, in the whites? Oh, well, to be honest with you, the only river that I had to kind of turn turn around um turn around from was the Little River and this was heading up uh a mountain called North Twin Mountain. Yeah. Um, so were you leaving from like the uh the 302 kind of side? I was le- I was leaving from the Route 3 side and I was going up a road called Haystack Road. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I I I'm just trying to. I should. I should. I should have grabbed my map, honestly. But yeah, I. I just wanted to get. I wasn't sure if you were coming from the uh, Pemi Loop side or the other nope, side. But no, nope. because I remember that river crossing too when I did it. So yeah, it's 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 serious, and I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't realize how serious it was going to be. Um, I just didn't realize how high the river was and that whole area back there going up to North Win- uh going up to North Twin from the Route Three side is just super choppy there's all these blowdowns there's all these odd crossings and you know non-crossings it's just it's just a little confusing and i haven't frequented that area much uh on this project but i believe it was the april round um which would make sense spring yeah a, a very very last week of april i needed north twin i needed south twin i needed garfield and i needed galehead and for some reason, I felt like going up North Twin and working my way across was a better option than going up Garfield and working my way uh, the opposite direction. Uh, looking back, that was a little ridiculous, but um, I figured I'd, I'd, I'd cross a little river early um, when it was at its lowest. And there had been a lot of precipitation in, in, the, in the recent days leading up to that hike. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, man, I walked the road about two and a half miles, got on the North Twin Trail, headed up to uh, North Twin and crossed the river once, got really, really wet. I was up to my waist. It was very cold. You know, the, the woods yeah. were still still in those early morning sha- uh, shadows. There wasn't any direct sunlight. It, there was just like a very, very, very cold temperature to the air. And uh, uh, crossed the little river once uh, up to my waist and got very, very chilly. 
and got a little bit off trail in some like in some down vegetation and came to what I thought was a second crossing and stepped like maybe two or three feet in. And I was like, number one, I'm way too cold to be crossing this river right now. And number two, like this this river is, is raging pretty hard. And I, I know that I could have crossed it, but, um, the idea of having to continue on and then turn back and go, go back across two, two crossings was just like, you know what? Um, I haven't had to call too many hikes this year and I've been really fortunate in that regard. And I was by myself. I was just like, this doesn't feel right. And, uh, it was the last week of the month and my wiggle room was, was diminishing, but I still had a little bit of room to kind of, um, make a decision like that, you know, where I, I didn't have to force myself into something that could have developed into a, into a bigger scenario. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, that was very indicative of what the worst crossings were like. I didn't have to turn around anywhere else, but, um, yeah, it was a very, very wet, um, wet spring and even, even wet early, early summer. The, the weather didn't, didn't quite stabilize until early June, to be honest with you. Yeah. And thank God it did eventually. Um, can I ask you kind of a tough question? Yeah. Maybe make you, make you think a little bit. So okay. in our last episode, we talked a little bit about how you came down to, you know, the last couple days of the month a couple times, you know, to finish that month. And I kind of want to raise a hypothetical situation going back to what you just said a second ago. Mm-hmm. If you had been, I think you probably know where I'm going with this. If you had been on like the last day or the second to last day, I know you said you didn't have that much wiggle room, but you had a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had had encountered that situation where you were really questioning whether or not you could have gone forward, whether or not mm-hmm. it would have been a smart, safe decision to go forward. Mm-hmm. What do you think you would have done? Um, you know, it, it's pretty easy to to answer that, and I I feel like I can answer it pretty unapologetically. Okay. I mean, when I decided to turn around, it was not a decision that was made at a breaking point. You know, I hadn't just submerged myself in water. I hadn't been hypothermic. I hadn't, um, you know, pushed myself way beyond beyond my means or 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 my own personal capacity. And, and, um, the reason why I turned around is because I was trying to avoid all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it wasn't a given that I would have gotten there if I'd gone through the river and gotten even, sure, sure. even more wet. Um, I was just trying to avoid a worst case scenario. Um, and the reason why I felt like I could turn around also was because again, I was not 100% up against the wall. I still had that wiggle room Mm -hmm. and it was like, I'm just not willing to put myself in that position if there's wiggle room that could potentially lead to a more safe scenario. Um, Now, let's say we're on the last day of the month, which I, you know, have been in that position several times uh, over, over the course of this project. And I was in that position, I think one or two more times after we last spoke. Um, after, after I kind of swore that I would never, (laughs) never let that happen again. It's a crazy project, man. It's going to happen. I I just like at a certain point, man, I just accepted it for what it was. But, um, you know, let's say that I was heading, um, up North twin, um, you know, let's say that I was heading up North twin on the last day of the month and I was facing that same scenario and I was looking at the river crossing and I was already a little chilly and it was a a raw morning and I, I, you know, I still had many miles in front of me, like, but my back was up against the wall, like, yes, absolutely. I would have crossed the river. Do I think it would have been a, a game-changing decision? Like, I don't think. I mean, you probably, you, you you even said it yourself. You probably could have done it 
It was just a for, matter for of, sure. is it the best decision possible when I have some wiggle room, you know? Exactly. And to, to be 100% real with you, like since that day on probably one or two, possibly even three occasions, if you count the diartissimo, like I was in scenarios that were like way, way, way more desperate than that. You okay. know what I mean? And okay. I just like, I pushed through them. So, um, yeah, man, if I, if I had to go back and it was like, you know, do or die type of type of scenario, then like, yes, I would have, I would have gone through, but that is the exact scenario that I was trying to avoid. Yes. If that makes yes. sense. That yeah. makes, that makes total sense. And I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, why don't we talk about this final round, the diuretissima, which I could not pronounce in our last episode, but I'm getting it now. Yes, um, you are. So just briefly again, why don't you just explain what it is real quick? And yeah, sure. dude, like, I feel like I don't even want to ask any specific questions. Like, I just want to hear about this, like, crazy fucking thing. Let's let's talk about July. <laughs> oh, man. July. Um, you know, the, the White Mountain diuretissima, um, you know, in my opinion the hardest long distance route on the east coast um easily the easily the 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 hardest long distance route on the east coast um right here in the white mountains of new hampshire yeah i uh i use the diuretissima or you know let's just to give the audience a little bit of context sure, for sure. anybody who's unfamiliar, the Diuretissima is a through hike of the 48, 4,000 footers in the White Mountains, essentially. So it is a, a 230 to 240 mile route that connects all 48, 4,000 footers in the White Mountains. Um, uh, you're going to go, as I said, about 230 to 240 miles. You're going to climb about 80,000 feet of vertical um, and you're going to summit all 48, 4,000 footers in one continuous trip. So, um, very, very small group of people, uh, have their, have their names, uh, on the diuretissima. So there's been 12 finishers in total. The last time we spoke, uh, there had only been 10 since then, uh, two, two additional people to the best of my knowledge have finished the diuretissima route, mm -hmm. uh, or finished a route that they identify as the white mountain diuretissima. Um, and yeah, I kind of see this as being the most difficult way to hike the 48, 4,000 footers in, in New Hampshire. And again, I see this as one of the most difficult long distance hiking, running, backpacking routes on the East coast. And, you know, just in terms of the, in terms of the tone that I wanted to set for my project, I, I use the diuretissima as bookends so the very yeah. first round was was in the form of a white mountain diuretissima i did that in a in a mostly unsupported fashion in a time of eight days eight hours and the last round was in the form of a white mountain diuretissima i did that in a supported fashion um in a time of six days 18 hours <laughs> and <laughs> yeah um and that round that last round um in july the last round of the single year grid was definitely the hardest hiking I've ever done. The, I would, I would, I would say, arguably that that was the, the single, single most difficult uh, mountain-based experience I've had, and that's 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 coming from somebody who's through hiked the AT, the PCT, the Long Trail, Colorado Trail, been to Alaska twice, JMT, Tahoe Rim, like all this, like the White Mountain Diaratissima traveling the way that we did uh at the pace that we did at the tail end of an 11 month epic yeah. <laughs> uh you know mountain based project was by far like the single most difficult thing i've so ever so insane dude i i remember i remember seeing your instagram story 
and like you know you would periodically do the live streams or whatever for a mm-hmm. few minutes and like mm-hmm. i would you know i would occasionally kind of tune into them or, or watch them after the fact and you know you were always in a pretty good mood you mm-hmm. know feeling good you know mm-hmm. just kind of you know pretty chipper and this yeah. one during the, the final diatissima completely different story dude i don't remember exactly what you said but like <laughs> you sounded and looked like you were absolutely drained yes. and I, yes. I can't remember you probably remember better than i would obviously I, I can't remember exactly how far in you were but i i, I know it wasn't like super close to the end yet i think it might have been like towards the middle kind of um i don't you probably did that a couple times the, the live thing but like dude, yeah tell me about just like <laughs> physically mentally like how did you make this happen yes well let me say first and foremost that you're not you're certainly not the first person that has come up to me after this experience after the (laughs) diatissima and said like homie i don't know i don't know who you were out there but you 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 were somebody else and we didn't really recognize him oh my god um so i mean i almost i almost accept that as uh as a sort of like patch of uh badge of honor yeah yeah absolutely um and you know what i'll also add that is the exact experience that i wanted to get out of the single year grid uh-huh. out of the diartissima that's why i chose the diartissima as two bookends to this project uh, you know beginning and, and an end because it just takes everything from you and my you know, my whole story, you know, my, my whole thing, this whole time being up here has never changed. Like I'm a a no name hiker from central Massachusetts. Who's been coming to the white mountains for 17 years. And on this, on this particular occasion, on this particular time in the whites, I wanted to, to throw down on the, the, the biggest, uh, the single biggest mountain, you know, mountain based project, um, in the white mountains. And, and possibly in the Northeast. And, and I knew that I wanted to give myself fully, you know, I knew that I wanted to give every ounce of myself, uh, to that experience. So when, when, when people say, dude, listen, you know, you, I don't really know who you were out there. You didn't look like yourself or you look totally (laughs) wasted. You know, there's a part of me that's like, oh man, you know, you're pushing really hard. You're really on the, on the extreme end of it, on the extreme end there. And then, um, there's also, there's also a part of me that's like, good, you know, good. Yeah. that's exactly, that's exactly what I wanted. That means that I was really doing my job because I, sure. didn't, I, I didn't feel like myself. I felt very different. Um, so yes, the sixth round. Um, so for anybody who listened to the, to the, to the podcast previously, or who listened to my episode or who, or who has kind of been following the single year grid, um, you know that I'm trying to, or was trying to finish the grid in, in, in the shortest time possible. And so I needed to throw down on a very fast round of all 48, the, the last week or so of August. And I needed to throw down on a, on a very fast round of the 48, the first week of July, uh, because those are the only two months on the project where you have any control over the total elapsed time of, of how long you're out there actually whittling away, hiking these 576 peaks. And so with that in mind, as soon as July 1st hit, it is in my best interest to, I think I kind of said this in the last podcast, yeah, that it yeah. was in my best interest to be at the starting line, to be at the trailhead at midnight, ready to go, because you're not going to wait, you know, four or five, six hours, sleep through the night, you know, to get started the next day. You got to start moving right off the bat. It's kind of a forced midnight start on the first day of July. Yeah. And so as I, you know, as I kind of spelled out in the last episode, at 12 o'clock midnight on July 1st, myself and my team were gathered 
uh, at the trailhead from from Mount Cabot out in the middle of nowhere in the White Mountain National Forest, looking at our looking at our watches, counting down the the seconds, and yeah, as soon as the the clock hit midnight, we were we were off. And damn, did anybody take any like pictures or video? Of that yeah, moment. we we yeah. There were a couple couple guests from the hostel. My friend John and my friend Ginger. Uh, big shout out to those guys. They they went up to the summit of Cabot many hours earlier and were waiting our arrival. Um, so there's a couple pictures of us on the summit. But uh, the very cool thing is is that we had a documentary filmmaker, oh, a gentleman nice. by the name of Alejandro, um, who was with us not not the entire way, but he hiked over a hundred miles uh, on the Diaratissima to meet in, you know, to meet up with us and and get shots of us as we were kind of hiking and and nice, get insights. Nice. So yeah, there was a, a gentleman who was documenting the entire thing, and then we were taking a bunch of photos, of course, and then we'd come to these road crossings and people would be taking photos. But l- let me tell you something, man. Like on that note, this was not a happy-go-lucky photo taking selfie taking <laughs> kind of oh, kind of hike of the of the 48 and hike of the diaratissima this was a balls to the wall this was a, an ultra aggressive go at at the diaratissima and um ultimately i think for for me personally that that ended up kind of biting me in the ass toward the end but uh nevertheless as soon as 12 o'clock hit we we were just straight savages. I mean, we, we, in in the first 26 hours, my partner, Jason and myself, Jason Lance, who's an, who's a, a an ultra marathon runner from Pennsylvania. Originally, he's now living in, in Whitefield, New Hampshire, super accomplished ultra marathon runner, a cool. uh, hundred miler, um, just a gentleman who's become a good friend over, over the last year. Um, he and I, he and I left and in the first 26 hours, I mean, we hiked close to 66 miles from, um, from the base of the Mount Cabot trailhead all the way to Glen Ellis, um, traversing Cabot, Wombeck, Mount Jefferson, Mount Adams, Mount Madison, and then, uh, doing a full Mariah Carter cats traverse into the early morning hours. Oh my God. That's that's so insane. It was like, it was like 66 miles, like 21,000 feet of vertical right off the rip. And that was a pace that was way faster than I was planning on. Okay. Um, I think if you, if you were to talk to my boy, Jason Lance, um, he would probably say that was about par with what he was, you know, he was trying to put in. Yeah. Um, just, he's got, he's got incredible long distance legs, man. And he's, he's run and, 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 and won many hundred mile races. Um, damn. Uh, but you know, like I said, the tone right off the bat was just absolutely insane. And when we came into Glen Ellis in the early morning hours, uh, of, of July 2nd, I mean, we literally met our crew, we downed some food, we slipped into our tents and we slept for two and a half hours, maybe three hours, got up. And I mean, by seven o'clock we were hiking up Glen Ellis toward, uh, toward the presidential range, but ultimately we would go out to isolation before going up to Mount Washington and going down the Southerns. But um, that just gives you an idea, man. I mean, that, that kind of pace, I mean, we, we tried to sustain that only, only with much less sleep, um, over the course of the first few days. And so that, you know, that first 66 mile day was then met with a 45 or 46 mile day on the second day from the Glen Ellis parking lot, just South of Pinkham Notch, all the way to, 
uh, we made it to Sawyer River Road at the base of Mount Kerrigan. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and then we were able to sleep for another hour or two. But it was just a war of attrition. I mean, we we're going as hard and as consistently as we could until we absolutely needed sleep. And we catch a couple winks just to like make it feel as though we were some some degree of of rested. Yeah. And then we would keep going. And it uh it was insane, man. It was really, really, really tough. Like after that first day, walking the road over to Glen Ellis, coming off the coming off the Wildcats, like all all that super, super steep country. I mean, it hit me then and there. Um, this is going to be really, really tough. Really tough, man. Did you have to slow the pace down a little bit after that first day? I mean, I'm just going to be real with everybody, man. Eventually, my 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 wheels totally came off. I mean, there was no way for, for me personally to answer a 66-mile day with another 66-mile yeah, day. Yeah. And of course, like the miles aren't all created equal out there um of course so you know we got in another 45 miles uh that following day so to speak before we were able to uh sleep sleep a little bit and then we answered that with i think like a 35 mile day and uh that got us all the way to livermore road right in waterville valley and from there i mean like you think even 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 though you're decreasing mileage every day, you feel like you're kind of getting into a little bit of a rhythm. And then um, just when you feel like you're getting into a little bit of a rhythm, you hit the hairpin turn and you're looking at (laughs) about 55 miles of uh, roadless diuretissima. Yeah. Um, You don't, you don't cross another road in in 55 miles. And so now you're going into this like backpacking slash fast packing mode where you're carrying way more food. You're carrying way more weight. I had like a, you know, 16 ounce sleeping bag with me because I knew that I was going to need to, um, I knew I was going to somewhere, just some somewhere man. Yeah. And that, and that became like the sleep, the sleep deprivation just became such a governing portion of the, the back end. See, the that's what half. I remember you talking about a lot in that Instagram mm-hmm. video mm-hmm. I was, I was referring to a few minutes ago. It's just like, you're just not sleeping over the course of the of the diuretissima like how many hours of like not not like just like laying there and shutting your eyes for a few minutes but like how many hours of like actual like solid sleep do you think you got i kind of kept track of the sleep i was getting personally which pretty much mirrored the, the sleep that jason was getting and even counting like those 15 minute 20 minute cat naps which there were a bunch of those uh huh over the course of the six days, 18 hours, let's just call it seven days. I mean, there's, there's no way that I slept more than 10 hours total. Jesus, like that, dude, that's that would so actually, nuts. yeah, that would actually be generous. I would actually, yeah, I would say actually it probably shook out to be closer to like nine, maybe eight, <laughs> eight and a half, <laughs> oh nine. God. Dude, I, um, if I don't fucking sleep for nine hours, just in a normal day, I can like barely function. That's oh, so insane. Well, this is, this was the component that I feared the most, man. I mean, I don't function well without sleep either. And I knew that like after 11 months of gritting the 48 every month, like all of my reserves were going to be lowered just right off the bat. So yeah. to then go and put myself in such a heavy sleep depth, I mean, I knew it was a recipe for very, very strange things to happen and very, very strange things did happen. And <laughs> I was, you know, definitely, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about what that, di- what that diuretissima 
brought in terms of difficulty and challenges to to the last round of the single year grid. Um, but uh, ultimately, there were new challenges around every corner, and these were these were you know challenges in terms of the terrain, in terms of the vertical, in terms of the bushwhacking that we needed to do, and these were challenges in terms of the sleep deprivation and just yeah. how hard we were pushing our bodies and um, just the effect of having such little sleep. I mean, it just changed everything, man. It changed everything about the experience. And um, by the time I got to the basin, which is right in Franconia Notch, by the time, you know, it got out of the Pema Gawasset, um, my partner Jason was, uh, I would say about an hour in front of me. Okay. And was kind of getting to the point where it's like, if he didn't, if he didn't move on, he kind of felt like, his body was going to seize up and not really allow him to to move forward <laughs> <Jesus>. at all. <laughs> and also, and I can tell you this just from personal experience, like witnessing Jason and then also like taking into consideration what I was going through myself, like Jason was hallucinating heavily, man. And we, we had like a, we had like a five hour debrief the other night where we just got together and ate some pizza and drank some tequila and just like laughed our asses off about the whole experience <laughs> oh, and like, man. you know, what we want to change and what we want to do the same. But ultimately, like Jason was telling me, when he got ahead of me, which was on Franconia Ridge in the early morning hours um, of, I guess, what was the fifth day. Um, yeah, he told me that he was hallucinating that he was in a race and that the only person that he could identify in the race was me, but but that he wasn't. He wasn't thinking it was me. Like in his mind, I was, I was someone else. And as I'm kind of on Franconia Ridge, you know, an hour behind him, I'm walking and just like caught in this tunnel of light that's being cast by my, by my headlamp. And I'm, I'm watching these rocks in my peripheral go by my feet and every single (laughs) one of them start to have a face with eyes and not like a human face, but just faces that are made from the divots and the check, the textures and the rocks and the sand. And like, I'm starting to have this like hallucination that these faces are looking at me and they can actually see through me and they actually know how much I'm struggling. And and then I'm having this whole emotional battle where it's like, I can't let them know how much I'm struggling because I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to know that. And it's like, this is the kind of insane shit that was going on in our brains as we're trying to, you know, just like crawl our way through the last, let's say 40 miles of the diartissima on, you know, at that point, seven hours of sleep over the course of five days. It was just insane. Did you ever like, just like black out like are there any peaks that you just like straight up have no like memory of or like very vague memory of no i remember every peak man um there there are definitely portions there are definitely portions of the trip that have kind of like come back to me a little bit since since finishing and since i've caught up on the sleep and i know jason had mentioned that the same thing was happening to him but um the interesting thing was and this 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 happened for the most part in the we got up to Boncliffe, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, another 40 miles to get to where we need to be, to get to the basin, to get to our crew. This is going to incorporate all of the PEMI plus hail plus owl's head two bushwhacks, just like a lot of heavy terrain in front of us. And we got up to Boncliffe and there was this like insanely beautiful sunset and we knew the darkness was coming. And so we kind of 
allowed ourselves, um, I would say like 10 or 15 minutes of sleep at this point, Alton, Alton mm-hmm. and Cole were with us. I know they were on your show. It was a sick episode. Yeah. Um, she, Alton and Cole were like godsends during this, during this entire process. Like we could do a whole, a whole episode based on, on what they did to help both Jason and I move forward with the diartissima. But, um, you know, they were up there with us as well. And we allowed ourselves 20 minutes of sleep. And what I thought was going to be just like a really lovely, rejuvenating kind of, you know, slumber turned out to be the exact opposite. So like when I woke up from that, I just woke up with this sense of anxiety, you know, because all I wanted was sleep. The Mm -hmm. last thing that I wanted to do was get back on my feet, get back on my, on my torn ass feet. Um, you might, my skin that was blistering and coming off that, that was the last thing I wanted. Um, all I wanted to do was sleep. And, um, there's a lot of stories about what happened in, in the Pemigewasset section of this diuretissima, but from that point forward, pretty much until the next morning, my brain got in this really strange, um, hypnotic headspace where the only thing that I could focus on, think about was sleep mm. like it was it was at the point where like we would branch off to do the west bond um you know we 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 branched off to do the west bond out and back and yeah. i didn't take my fucking backpack with me but i took my sleeping bag wrapped it around my shoulders and got up to the <laughs> summit like 30 seconds after alton and jason and i said guys how long we got two minutes literally just threw down in my sleeping bag right there and caught like a minute of like micro sleep. Like that was the only thing I could think about, man. It was so strange. And, um, that continued pretty much all the way until the next morning. Um, and, and actually that kind of provided one of the coolest moments of the entire trip because we came off West Bond and we were in the kind of in the coal between West Bond and Guillot. And there was just this stretch of of woods. And I looked at Jason and I, I looked at Alton and I said, guys, I'm so sorry, but the only way that I can move forward is if I get 60 minutes of sleep. And Uh you know, I probably wasn't super nice about it. I was probably a little demanding. Um, but it was honestly at the point where like, I just couldn't picture moving forward through the darkness without some semblance of rest. Yeah. And right there, man, in the middle of the night, Alton, Jason, um, Cole and myself, stepped about two or three feet off of the trail, found this nice soft patch of pine needles. And um, we all just like curled up next to one another and we set an alarm and we slept for 90 minutes. And this really weird thing happened. Like I would say I shut my eyes and maybe like 60 seconds later, I had already fallen asleep. 60 seconds later, I like shoot up super violently um out of my sleeping bag and i look back at jason and alton and cole and they're all just looking at me and i was like is it time to go like i was just operating on this like extremely exhausted but also kind of like anxiety induced like heightened kind of like we gotta keep going like mental state and they're like dude it's been it's been a minute and (laughs) and i was like holy shit and like right before i went back to sleep i took like this half second to appreciate the scene, which was Jason Cole, um, Alton and myself all huddled, you know, off, off the shoulder of West Bond, like in this, like, you know, this like wolf-like pack kind of, you know, mentality or mode. And it was just like, I don't know, man, it was, it was both beautiful. It was both disturbing, but also, you know, quite beautiful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And obviously you kept going. 
Um, how about like the last, like, you know, I don't even want to say like the last day, like the last X amount of hours, like when you're right at the end, like it's almost like insight, you know, you're almost there, but like you still have to continue to push yourself for a little while longer, you know, just you're close enough to taste it, but you're not close enough to like fully bite it. How did that feel? How did you deal with that? Well, I mean, there was like kind of a a pretty big plot twist, right? within the last 30 miles uh, of finishing. So like I said, Jason got down to the basin in Franconia Notch about an hour in front of me. And he was just like so out of it and just so mentally beat and physically beat. And um, ultimately, you know, in the moment on the spot, you know, my homie decided that he needed to move on. Uh And so he left the basin, uh, the basin aid station, so to speak, um, I would say probably, yeah, like I said, an hour, hour and 15 minutes before I got down there and I had caught word that he was, he was going to head out as I was coming down to the basin. So it wasn't a surprise or anything. And as I got to the basin, like, you know, all my homies, Alton, Chris, all these, all these guys kind of rallied and, and started to, uh, inquire, you know, who, who can hike with Phil, who can, who can, you know, link up with him from here and, and get him over to 112. And then who wants to hike Musalak to, to finish the whole thing? They were uh-huh. like really good about getting me back up. But when I got down to the basin, like my family was there, my mom, my brother, my sister, two of my oldest homies from uh, back in Massachusetts. And yeah. it just like hit me like, you know what? Jason's ahead of me. He's probably equally as fucked up, but he's just on his straight up grind. And he's going to take the FKT, you know, for the diuretisma because ultimately we were trying to get in under, underneath the fastest known time for the oh, diuretisma okay. as well. Um, and it just felt right for me to, to, to chill there and get two hours of sleep and give my mom a hug and give my homies a hug yeah, and really yeah. just kind of lay off the gas a little bit. Um, and, you know, it, it just – it was what it was. I mean, it felt okay. And it, it was all – it was all knowing that like – you know, this much, much bigger goal was coming oh, to a yeah. close. The, oh, yeah. the, the single year grid was about to get sent and like being 30 miles out, you know, four peaks and 30 miles out from the end of this year long project. It was like, you know, Jason's my homie, but I was like, you know, if this man wants to go and just crush it, I support that. I love that dude. Um, but I'm going to just like chill here for a second and vibe and not like, you know, not, not rush through the last, last little bit too much. Um, so I, you know, I took a couple couple hours sleep there and got going um on that on that last full day uh hit the worst weather of the trip on that last full day really? of course super... naturally oh, on naturally the last day. <laughs> absolutely um yeah I ended up going up mount cabot um i'm sorry mount cannon in a in a super violent thunderstorm thunder and lightning storm uh big heavy heavy downpours um Ended up running into Andrew, Andrew Drummond, uh, shout out to Ski the Whites, big, big White Mountain legend, also a, a diuretissima finisher. Ended up running into him and his pup Squall, uh, getting close to the summit of Cannon. Ended up running into another gentleman who I'd never met before, a gentleman by the name of Bill Tidd, who was on his own, unsupported diuretissima, um, looking strong as fuck out there. So like that, that totally hyped my my morale up running into those boys and getting a little bit of love and showing a little bit of love to those boys. Um, but after that, man, again, I was just hurting and my wheels had come off at that point heavy. And the last, let's say, 
let's just say 20 miles from, uh, you know, Cannon up over the Kinsmans and then from Kinsmen out to 112 and up, up Musalak. I mean, it was just slow going, dude. It was really slow going. And walking through the night that last day, I mean, I had my buddy Jason Gray out with me uh, from Worcester, who, who's a, a super talented runner. Um, he came out and, and helped get me in. I had my buddy Rich Gamble, who's just a very pro- prolific peak peak bagger in the white mountains had him come out and help have my buddy kyle come out and help me um just and by help i mean just like walk with me dude like through the neck because i could not i just could not keep you walking straight yeah man and like even like yeah even on that last you know that last few miles uh those last few miles down to the road i mean like i was asking for like 10 minutes of sleep here or there wow. and i was falling asleep dude for like 10 whole minutes as soon as I hit hit the ground and it was wet and it was muddy and I was just like slurping around in a rain poncho but I was like getting that sleep because I needed it and um I'll just uh you know paint the picture of like the last the last few moments yes dude that's exactly what I that's what I need to hear because it's like because I'm torn because obviously I can't relate to this but it's like hearing about all of this like uh hardship that you went through just on the diuretissima it's like, I don't know if I would be most excited just to have that done by the time I summit Musalak, mm-hmm. or if, you know, I would still be able to kind of take some time in and soak in, you know, finishing the single year grid, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, just as a preface, um, when I was on the diuretissima pretty much up until the last day, I didn't think about the single year grid once. Really? Like it was just lost on me that I was finishing this much bigger goal. And it would come, it it, it would, you know, the last day or so there, it would kind of float in and out. Like, yo, you're, you're about to, you're about to finish this thing. Like yeah. you're about to, you're about to throw down on something. Um, but ultimately the task at hand, finishing the diartisma, finishing that last round as quickly as possible over, always overshadowed um, the, the single year grid just in, in those, in, in that week that I was out there, because it seemed like, yeah, the goal was one and the same, get to Musalak, that would finish the diuretissima, that would finish the single year grid, but the just the 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 diuretissima was just so much more on the front burner. You know, that was the term that was being thrown out. That's how I was finishing the the single year grid. Yeah. Um so it didn't really start to hit me that I was finishing the single year until I came down into the Beaverbrook parking lot, which is the last road crossing your four miles from the summit of Mount Musilaki. Four very steep miles, I'll, I'll four say. Four super steep miles, <laughs> yes. Um, and I probably came into that parking lot, parking lot around three in the morning and maybe 50 yards from the parking lot, we're walking along in silence, myself, my buddy Rich, my buddy Kyle, my buddy Jason. And all of a sudden, I hear the most like unbelievable wolf howl. And... It isn't like one person, it's several people, if not more. Oh, wow. And I was just like, am I fucked up right now? Like, <laughs> like, what, like, am I hallucinating? Like, is this part of the hallucination here? Because at that point, it was like, I don't know, man, very hard to explain explain but i was very sleep deprived and then all of a sudden my homies that were with me start start howling back and then i hear more howls and i'm like oh my god these are these are friends of mine that are waiting you know down in the parking lot and so i get down to the parking lot and just like a very eclectic group of people show up um so again you've got my buddy jason you've got my buddy rich um 
you've got my buddy Jason, you've got my buddy Rich, you've got my buddy Kyle that are walking with me, and then we see a bunch of guests from the hostel, and then I see one of my oldest homies, Dave, and then I see my brother, and I see my sister-in-law, Sarah, and my friend Laura, and, and all of these people, and I'm just like, oh man, like all these people are, are here for me. And like I said, I had been walking through like storms that very last day. There was kind of a moment where we were like, um, are we going up right now? Like, are we going up to Moose? Like, are we just going to keep this train rolling? Or do we take a couple hours and just finish leisurely the next day? Yeah. And I remember um, a buddy of mine, uh, Dan, Dan McGinnis, who's just, you know, got his own rep, rep up here in the White Mountains, has thrown down on just some some killer projects in the past. He kind of appears. And I had seen him in the Pemigawasset like two days earlier randomly. Okay. Um, he gave me just a big bottle of Gatorade. It was a, a super sick moment. He appears with like all these pizzas. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude, game over. Like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to eat. I'm going to wait yeah, for that's this. That's not a tough choice. Yeah, I'm going to wait for this weather to pass. And tomorrow morning, we're going to leave here leisurely at eight or nine o'clock. We're going to have a lovely day up there and we're going to finish this thing right. And I was a little, you know, it was just ever so slightly deflating because it felt like the the crazy ass momentum to the to the diartissima had had now officially ended. And yeah. I'm just kind of, you know, I slept for three hours that night, um, just kind of biding my time, wait, waiting to go out. Um, but ultimately, I think it was the right decision because around 9 o'clock on Sunday, the 7th of July, I think probably 10 or 12 of us, uh, you know, Dan McGinnis and also Hiker Ed. Hiker Ed, uh, Ed Hawkins is a this this is this is an old head of the White Mountains. He's just, uh, yeah, he's one of the the original... Hiker Ed is one of the original hikers out here. He's just an old head of the White Mountains. His license plate reads 5,004Ks. <laughs> and um, that's some real shit. And he'll be the first person to tell you that those numbers are outdated. You know what I mean? Like, he's just <laughs> he's just an old school dude out here, you know, in his 70s, um, still getting after it. And also oversees the whole kind of grid culture and, and grid organization. Okay, okay. And he's the one that that reviews the applications and the dates that you submit and gives the, gives the patch. He was there and man, we, we all climbed Mount Musalak uh, on a beautiful bluebird day with a hundred mile views, um, uh, you know, at the end of the first week in July. And, um, I was, I was hurting heavily, uh, on the climb up, up to that peak. Everybody in the crew got in front of me. And also I was just trying to enjoy that last, you know, those last few miles as of much what as you was, can. <laughs> yeah, man, just uh, of what was such a, a, a monumental project. Um, and the finish was the perfect mix of like enthusiasm from friends you know that the 10 or the 12 people who were up there who actually knew what i was doing yeah. who actually knew what i had just finished and then also just a healthy dose of um of of stranger uh, stranger driven uh, you know ap apathy or, or, or lackluster you know there's just like a bunch of other people up there looking at me like who Yo. the fuck does this dude think he is <laughs> like dude what do you got going on like uh, that's so special you know um yeah, yeah and and i appreciate both of those sides because that's very much the way it is right like when you finish any big 
through hike or, or project. It's like, you know what you did and your team knows what you did, but you look at the outside world and even with all the social media and all the love that came along with this project, it's like most people don't really know and they don't really give a shit. And I think that's fucking awesome. You know, I really, yeah. really, I really, really appreciate that, that side of it too. Um, but all that being said, I mean, two weeks out now, I just, I know it's going to take many, many weeks and many, many months and maybe even a few years to really come to terms with and process what I was able to pull off out there. Uh Um, And there's a part of me that feels like, yes, um, I, I, I know that the grid is over. I know that I completed the project. I know that there is now, there's no longer a need for this super aggressive schedule in the mountains. Mm -hmm. But at the same rate, I also feel like going out with such consistency over the last 11 months really turned climbing all 48, 4,000 footers every month into just more of a, of a unbelievably wild life practice. Yeah. And so like, yeah, the project is over, but I know that I'm going to be getting out with, a ton of consistency real soon. And so it feels like the project is done, but it also feels like life is just continuing on the way that it always has. Like there's like this new world out there, you know, um, the, the, the world, uh, life, life feels both very familiar and, and dramatically different at the same time. So I think that's, that's a good, uh, point to kind of transition a little bit let's let's talk a little bit about post grid life so like you said it was about two weeks ago that you finished which is mm-hmm. first of all it's fucking insane that you were willing to come on here like so soon after dude i really appreciate that oh I, dude i was i was ready to go like the first week man i just said i didn't i didn't want to i didn't want to i didn't want to rush you but um <laughs> no this is this is great this is awesome great. yeah I, I i genuinely really really appreciate that mm-hmm. um so yeah post grid so you finish Moose Lock, you get back down to the parking lot, and, you know, you sleep, you gotta go sleep, right? Like, I don't know, what does what does that first, like, couple days afterwards look like? You know, both, <laughs> both what, like, what are you doing besides sleep, if anything? And, yeah. you know, just, um, are you... Are you able to start processing it yet, or are you really just trying to, to, to catch up and, and, and rest, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, I mean, ultimately, as soon as I finished the diuretissima, I came back to the notch. I smashed a Smitty Burger from Black Mountain Burger um, <laughs> here in town, which is like a half pound burger with a full grilled cheese sandwich for the top bun and a full grilled cheese sandwich for the bottom <laughs> bun. Damn. Um, I wish yeah. I had known about that when I was going through Lincoln. Yeah, man. A- add bacon, add mayo, no veggies, like onion rings on the side. It's pretty next through level. hikers, make note. Real, real talk. You guys got to hit up Black Mountain when you come through. It's absolutely next next level. I would love a, I would love a Black Mountain Burger Company sponsorship in the future <laughs> if you guys are listening. Um no, but yeah, I grabbed uh, just a big burger and I'm being straight up with you, man. I did nothing but sleep for close to five days. <laughs> Which I see that's what I, in the back of my head when I was asking that question, I was like, you know, is this even worth asking? Because I feel like that's probably all he would have done. But I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I did. I did nothing but sleep for five days. And this was punctuated with 
um, yeah, brief periods of, of consciousness. And, and during, during those periods, I was usually trying to consume, you know, consume as much food as I could, but I was super wasted, man. And it was both the, the, the sleep deprivation and the pace of the diuretissima coupled with just 11 months of non-stop white mountain gritting like i can't drill that point in enough yeah. because even i forget about it sometimes i'm like well why am i still feeling so depleted when the di- you know from the diuretissima even like before we did this interview i was just kind of feeling very just tired and worn out it's yeah, like the beginning yeah. of the day out here you know and i'm like why why am i still so tired from the from the diuretissima and it's like well i don't think you are tired or i don't think i am tired from the diuretissima i think i'm tired from the diuretissima in combination with, you know, 10 or 11 straight, you know, 11 straight monthly rounds of, of gritting the White Mountain 48. So when I finished that, man, I was super, super depleted. Um, I ate a bunch of food. I crawled into my bed and I slept for three, four, five days. I ended up missing two shifts at work. Like my, my boss, Serena, like, you know, love her to death she just you know the the very first shift that i was scheduled back she was like you're not coming into work tomorrow <laughs> um and i was like okay i'll take that um and, and i hesitate to to take that so freely just because they do so much for me here in the notch hostel is just like help facilitate this dream on a daily basis since i started yeah really um, huge shout out to the notch man like <sighs> i mean if we're giving shout outs man shout out to to, to serena and the notch hostel because they were super good to me for the very brief amount of time i was there oh yeah too. oh yeah well and i thought i was going to be living out of the back of my truck for this for this project man and ultimately this this woman serena you know it, took took me in for an interview and and heard me plead my case um you know took me in for an interview heard me plead my case asked me to show her how I was going to try to pull this off and and once I gave her you know reason to believe she believed a thousand percent from the second I walked in there until the second she met me at the bridge you know at the ravine lodge you know finishing yeah. the the last round I mean it was it was insane, man. I, I, I want to make it very clear. I could not have completed the single year grid without the Notch Hostel's help and without Serena's help. So yeah, absolutely. Shout out to the Notch Hostel. But For sure. um, yeah, man, she gave me the first day off. And then the second day that I was scheduled, I was literally just like awake, but like kind of slumped over at the front desk when she walked in at four. And I was like, what are you doing here? And she's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm on the schedule and she's like, I didn't think you'd be in. And I was like, well, I wasn't going to just like not show up to the shift. And she's like, how do you feel? And I was just like, had to just be super honest with her. I was like, I could definitely use another day. And she's like, dude, go, go take another day, man. So, so awesome. So awesome. Yeah. So she let me split and I did nothing but sleep for five days, man. And I would ice my feet. Um, I would tend to my blisters. I would, you know, take Epsom salt baths. I would do everything I could to try to appease some of the, you know, the trauma that I had put my body through. Um, but it was, it was definitely rough, man, that first week. I mean, I didn't even talk to my friends or family until maybe like seven or eight days after the diuretism, man, because I was just so rocked. I truly woke up every morning feeling like I could go right back to sleep immediately and be fine with it. And that's what I did. And, um, it was just, it was just the acknowledgement that I had finally done what I'd wanted to do the entire single year grid, which is give myself fully to the point where I absolutely had nothing. And 
Yeah, just the process of acknowledging that, you know, waking up, enjoying enjoying that it that it had been sent that the project had been finished yeah and then and then going back to sleep and of course you know things have gotten a lot better you know since then over the course of the last 14 days i mean i've definitely gotten my my energy back and i've been just you know really starting the long road of looking at images looking at videos processing things um, you know, literally, you know, processing images, processing video, getting stuff together, doing, you know, podcasts with you, giving interviews to other, other outlets that have taken some interest. But I mean, life is just, life is just going to be very kind of slow to start back up. I think, I mean, I'm going to be working about 30 hours at the hostel per week and still going to be based, uh, you know, at the notch in the white mountains, um, and you know, just going to kind of like take a little bit of time here to just let the body yeah. recoup, oh, let the sure. mind recoup. And I'm not forcing anything, man. Like, you know, like you ask about processing or digesting the experience. Like I've, I've done stuff like this enough at this point in my life where I know that the processing and the digesting does not happen overnight. It doesn't, doesn't happen in a week or a month. Like these things, um, come in, in waves and in cycles. And I mean, just, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly still digesting the simple fact that I pulled this off. Yeah, man. (laughs) I mean, I mean, like I was driving around the hairpin turn the other day, maybe like yesterday or the day before, um, you know, just like listening to some music on, on a drive back into Lincoln. And, um, you know, that was a, that was an area that I crossed on the diuretissima and just like all of a sudden, like this heavy wave of elation just came over me and it was just like, holy shit. Like, you finished the single year grid and I just got so stoked, you know, I was just like, yeah. man, like <laughs> that's fucking awesome that, you know, that I was able to pull that off, especially after so, you know, just not knowing for so long. So, yeah, yeah. um, I, you know, this, again, this is something I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna force. I mean, it's only been two weeks. It's only two weeks post trip. I'm slowly getting my energy back. I'm slowly getting back on the professional grind. Um, you know, trying to to start looking at all of the media that I collected over the course of of this of this project, and um, you know, just getting back to a little bit more of a, pre- a predictable uh, predictable way of life. You know, even even if only for the for the short term, for sure. Because of because of course, you know, there will be. There will be many, many other projects. Of course. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. trust me. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Dude, I'm going to take a time out for a second. So okay. you you have zero obligation to do this, um, but yeah. what is your schedule looking like for the next like 45 minutes? Pretty, I mean, pretty chill, man. Um, There's like so much more here, dude. And like, dude, I'm, uh, let's keep going, man. I feel like, like, I feel like we could like turn this into two episodes. Homie, let's let's do it right. Let's do it right. It let's feels do it right. It, it feels like the conversation's flowing. Like I don't feel like I'm 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 like running out of shit to say. No, you know? I'm honestly I'm really just trying to like kind of step back and and, and let you get this all out there because that's that's what yeah. people want to hear, man. That's what people want to hear. So all right, um, so Philip and I just uh, came to the conclusion that we're actually going to turn this into two episodes because <laughs> we are you know more than an hour in at this point, and I still have like so much stuff to get to that I feel like rather than just cutting that off and then revisiting it in like a month or two like no fuck that we need we need two back-to-back episodes so i think that's what we're gonna do so let's do it we're gonna cap this one here everybody thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week i've never done this before this so this feels weird but be sure to tune in next week to hear the rest of this conversation um we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh just kind of the overall 
process of the grid. Um, we're going to get to some some Instagram submitted questions as well. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about social media. And um, now that we've kind of gotten like the story of that last part of the single year grid out there, we're going to kind of reflect a little bit more. So thank you so much for listening, Philip, dude. Thank you so, so much. We're yes, going to keep it going here. But to everybody listening, uh, yeah, have a good one.